Welcome to The Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thank you for listening. It's not uncommon for adults to feel great frustrations when it comes to dealing with adolescents and how the teenagers make decisions and handle their emotions. We so often clump it all into the notion that they have to grow up. But the truth is exactly that. And now we have wonderful information about the development of the adolescent brain. David Gross is a Florida psychiatrist who is joining us to discuss how the teenager's brain develops. Dr. Gross, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Abby. It's my pleasure. The ramifications of this topic, understanding the teenage brain, have spilled over into issues of teenage pregnancy, drug abuse, and other problems because these issues so often come from a faulty decision-making process. How different is the 13-year-old brain than the 20-year-old brain? Is it more than just the accumulation of life's experiences? Well, it's a very exciting area because I think it opens up a whole new approach to raising our teenagers. I wrote a paper recently entitled, uh, Why Your Adolescent is Like a Puppy Dog. If you have a puppy dog, then you treat the puppy dog a certain way and protect the puppy dog from uh, the travails of being an immature animal. We used to think that the human brain was fully mature by the age of 13. Therefore, all of the behaviors of adolescents, 13 to 18 or so, were viewed as psychologically based. And therefore, we treat it as, as if this is an individual who needs to learn about life but has the capacity they only choose to. Therefore, it becomes almost a free will issue. Well, we were all wrong. The adolescent brain at the age of 13 is fully mature except for one major area, and that's the part of the brain called the frontal lobe, especially the prefrontal cortex. The rest of the brain is mature, so the motor system, the ability to coordinate, to throw a baseball, to dance, the limbic system, which is a very primitive part of the brain and is really the part of the brain that's responsible for drug, sex, and rock and roll, basic drives, is also fully mature. But the frontal lobe, the prefrontal cortex, is there to censor the basic drives. It controls the ability to delay pleasure, delay gratification. It is the part of the brain that's responsible for planning action. It's the part of the brain for weighing good or bad. It's the part of the brain that tries to prevent impulsivity. And it's that part of the brain that often does not mature until the late teens to the late 20s. That's an interesting point because so often we consider adulthood to start in the late adolescence, maybe the early 20s, but it appears that neurologically, therefore, neurologically, the brain doesn't finish maturing until the mid-20s, maybe even shortly thereafter. It forces us to think about things differently. You need to take precautions with adolescents, even more so than we have in the past. For me, the analogy is when you have a toddler, what do you do to your house? You make sure all the cabinets that that toddler can access that have dangerous chemicals, etc., are locked. You're going to keep your toddler out of harm's way because the toddler's brain is not able to say, you know, this is bleach and it's dangerous to drink. With a toddler, we know what to do. The problem is now that we have this new information about the adolescent brain, we need to pay attention to keeping them safe from the things that go bump in the night the same way we do with a toddler. It's just different. So being even more careful about drug abuse, being able to do drug screens at home, the ability to stick with curfews, the ability to be very rigid around grades, deterioration of grades, which would suggest drug abuse or cutting school or a combination of both. And unfortunately, in our society, that's not happening. So if the brain isn't fully developed, then if we expose it to anything during development that's toxic, we could be changing things in a very negative manner. It has the same connotation, the same flavor as telling a woman not to take drugs when she's pregnant. The baby needs to be able to develop. It's even more serious than that because... You can take a fully developed brain 
It exposes them to a particular drug on a regular basis. And you reprogram the pleasure-slash-addiction center of the brain based upon the effect of that drug. So you can take a fully normal, intact brain, and that pleasure center can get reprogrammed so it acts autonomously and has a life of its own seeking more drug use. But then you take the adolescent. The adolescent, because the frontal cortex isn't ready to control things that are bad in life, has a fully formed pleasure center of the brain. That pleasure of the center of the brain is very sensitive to reprogramming by drugs. And that's why you can see adolescents who don't have any kind of genetic history of drug abuse get exposed to drugs and become an addict. I'm quite sure that any of us who have done clinical histories of people who have drug abuse problems will discover that a very large number of them start early on in adolescence at the age 12, 13, or 14 years of age. And there may also be some sort of other environmental issue going on in their life as well. But if we look at it just from a neurological point of view, they are going into a very important developmental stage neurologically where their brain is being exposed to materials, to molecules that nature did not intend to be there. And hence, it won't be able to develop normally. What we would like as I'm understanding you, is for the brain to have the opportunity to make the normal connections between the parts of the brain that deal with reasoning, with self-reliance, with self-discipline, with understanding the ramifications of an act. This is what we're looking for. Exactly. I mean, I've seen it time and time again in adolescents I've treated who, when they were 12, 13, or 14, were absolutely impossible because of what a handful they were. Acting out, drug abuse, anger, cutting school, the whole spectrum of behavioral discontrol and attitudinal discontrol, like oppositionally defiant kids, and then suddenly, four, five, six years later, suddenly they get it. And they get it because they are making those connections you just alluded to. So it raises a very interesting question when it comes to treatment. Do we treat them with psychotherapy? Do we treat them with medications? Do we treat them by teaching their parents to provide them with better role models, change the environment? We don't want to interfere with the normal development as much as possible. I wish I could say that medication is going to be helpful, but it probably won't be unless that adolescent has a major psychiatric disorder, like depressive disorder, bipolar disorder, panic disorder, etc. I think the answer really lies in two places. One, certainly in the home. Parents need to be educated on this information so that they can recognize that their common sense about maintaining boundaries and guidelines and what's good and what's not good can be supported even more vigorously. But the second place is in the school system because that's an arena for change. The word has to get spread there in terms of the immaturity of parts of the adolescent's brain as we put together curriculum and programs for these children. And then if we combine an immature brain with a psychiatric disorder, it becomes even more complicated because as the brain changes, some of the symptoms may come and go, become stronger and weaker. It becomes quite an ongoing process. And then if you add substance abuse, it becomes even more complicated. Then you've got a three-ring circus. So then if they take drugs during this developmental phase, what will it do? Will it scar their brain? Is that the right term to use? It's not scarring. It's really programming. It's, it's the connections and the way the primitive parts of the brain control the rational part of the brain. Thinking about the limbic system and the pleasure center is the primitive part of the brain and the frontal lobe and prefrontal cortex is the rational thinking, problem-solving part of the brain. You don't want the primitive part of the brain controlling the thoughtful, logical, rational side of the brain because that leads to ongoing dysfunction. And that goes back to the old notion that not only is there a neurological maturation going on, but there's also the sense that the maturation may be formatted somewhat by what the 
adolescent experiences, what they're taught, what they see, how they experience life. Well, modeling, but also like with the toddler, you know, you're not going to let the toddler get into the cabinet where the bleach is. You're not going to let the teenager control the parents and say, I'm going to come home at 3 o'clock in the morning and it's okay to smoke grass once in a while. It's okay to get drunk with my friends. Children really do need to have their parents not be afraid to step right into their lives. Yes. It brings us to another issue. Does a 13-year-old or 14-year-old have the same capacity to make a decision as a 17- or 18-year-old does in a legal sense? What is their capacity to be competent? I know there are no hard answers to this yet, but it brings up a lot of questions about how much culpability or liability do we give teenagers of different ages when they commit crimes or maybe do things that don't rise to the level of a crime but are nonetheless on the edge of improper thinking, maybe even dangerous thinking. I think that the attorneys and forensic psychiatrists and psychologists are going to take a long time to figure this one out. I don't have an answer to it for sure. It's going to be a very interesting process to follow. I know there's a lot of discussion going on right now about it. By the same token, we do see some kids who seem to mature much earlier than others. People will say that their 15-year-old has the maturity and insight of a 30-year-old or a 40-year-old. Any idea why? Is it more environmental? don't know, but I have a... I have a, a sign in my office that's my favorite saying right now, and it's it sign that says, everyone is gifted, some open the package sooner. The range of maturation of this part of the brain, we believe, is from the late teens to late 20s. We used to talk about somebody blossoming and blooming at a certain age. They finally got it. Well, it's probably related to the frontal lobe maturity and other changes in the brain that occur, but there's a wide spectrum. So you can have one teenager who, by the age of 17 or 18, has really matured in terms of logic and judgment and decision-making, and another teenager who, now in the early 20s, who's still behaving like they're 14. Okay, so let's say that there's a 14- or a 15-year-old who's having some problems in school, acting out, depression, whatever, and the parents bring you the child, and then they say, what are we going to do about it? How do we treat it? How do you then go about explaining explaining the treatment modalities, the thinking process that goes behind coming up with a recommendation, and especially given the fact that the brain that is coming into your office today is not neurologically going to be the brain that will be there in a year or two or three. You know, first you have to tease out whether or not there's a primary major psychiatric disorder. Assuming that there isn't, then it's a matter of educating the parents about the facts we just discussed about the brain itself and talking about the need for boundaries and also to instill a sense of hope, which is that it, it will get better. It's a matter of hanging in there over the period of time you have to, which has been the way parents have approached adolescence forever. That's no different. My kids are eventually going to come out of this phase, but now we understand that this phase is neurobiologically based. Have we reached the point where we can now actually see the progression of maturation? We can see these changes occur on PET scans or MRIs. Do we have those skills now? Do we have those tools now? That's where the data came from. That's how the aha moment occurred. By for the first time having imaging techniques that can take a look at the morphology and anatomic structure of the brain. One of the other questions that comes up is if there is some distinctive pattern that's showing up in kids who don't get better, in kids who start off having little problems when they're 12 and 13 years of age, but by the time they're 17, 18, and 19 years of age, they're showing their first signs of schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or, or whatever. Any ideas, any data about this? 
Well, as you know, there's plenty of imaging and metabolic studies on abnormalities and major disorders, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia. But one of my major concerns now is, is the use of marijuana in teenagers and the data that suggests that there's a predisposition to psychotic behavior and psychotic disorders in regular marijuana use, whether or not that's because there's an underlying psychotic disorder that's there biologically in the individual to begin with and it just was brought to the surface by the regular marijuana use, or whether or not the marijuana itself, the cannabinoids, it's led to dysfunction within the brain that then created a schizophrenic picture. And yet so many kids use it so cavalierly that it's frightening how many people in these populations, in the adolescent populations, are exposing themselves to marijuana. As do their parents. Do you think we'll ever get to the point where we can take a scan and get a good measure of how mature the brain is? Are we anywhere near that yet? I think there will be a time, probably not in our lifetime, where your office and my office will have a Star Trek type of scanner that somebody will lie down on and they'll get scanned. And the scanner will show all the biological abnormalities in the body. So theoretically, one should be able to get a brain age the same way that you can get a bone age based upon an x-ray. That would be so interesting. It would give us such a better sense of what we're looking at. It certainly would. What about when there's the issue of mental retardation or some other cognitive or developmental delay? Do we know where to put that yet? Have we measured that to the point where we can speak about it, or is that material that's yet to come? Good question. I, I don't have an answer to that. I'm, I'm sure it just complicates it, but I don't know. One has to wonder if there is any relationship to the fact that kids are going into puberty at an earlier and earlier age. Do we know of any data that suggests that the brain develops earlier, that somehow it's tied to puberty and the presence of the sex hormones, or is it just a completely independent, not related to hormonal status in terms of its development? This is a speculation on my part, okay. but there, there, has, there has to be some kind of signal that leads to the maturation of frontal lobe. How much of that is hormonally based? How much of that is the clock ticking away based? Don't know. Also, you have to ask the other question, which is early childhood trauma, I mean emotionally trauma, emotional trauma and abuse, can that have a negative impact upon the maturation of the brain? These are all things I think we'll, we'll find as uh, the research goes on. This is all very fascinating, and it completely brings together the notions of our bodies and our environments. Dr. David Gross is a psychiatrist in Southeast Florida. Thank you very much for being with us, sir. This is a very important topic that needs to be monitored very carefully. My pleasure, Abby.